I want to speak to you today on how God is not shaken. He is never, ever shaken. We may be shook, but God is never shaken. Have you ever heard this word shook? You know, I know you've heard it, but you know, nowadays our young people are using the word shook. You know, they say, I'm shook. You know, they see something like, like it means rattled, like, like when life catches you off guard. You ever had that? Life catches you off guard and it, it's got you shook. Like, have you heard that? My kids say that. They use that on me. Like, they say something. I got shook. I got shook. How many of you heard that before? You heard your young person say that? Yeah? And so I'm going to just encourage you today is that you may be a little shook, but you don't have to be shaken. You may be a little shook today. Life may have you rattled a bit by what you see, what you feel, and what you're going through, but you don't have to be shaken in the midst of it. And so, in fact, let me remind you of what Hebrews chapter 12 tells us about that part of us that, listen, as believers, he said that you and I are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You and I, as believers in Christ, are a part of something so much bigger than us, the kingdom of God, that it is never going to be shaken ever, ever. The writer of Hebrews, when he's describing the kingdom of God, is a kingdom that cannot be shaken the kingdom of God, like this is so sometimes hard to understand, but you and I can't taste the kingdom. You can't touch the kingdom. You can't smell it. And in fact, he says right after this that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He says this, as a matter of fact, the kingdom of God is an all-consuming fire. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, I want you to understand this. And I hope to impress upon you today the magnitude of what the kingdom of God is, the magnitude of who God is and his character. Though you may be a little rattled today in this moment, in this season of your life, you do not have to be shaken. Can you hear me? Say yes. You can be shook without being shaken. There's life on the other side of your shookness. Those of you are like, that's not a word. I know, but we're going to use it today, right? There's life on the other side of your shookness. Maybe you should tell your neighbor that. There's life on the other side of your shookness. You may be rattled today, but there's life on the other side of that. You know, we do crazy things, don't we, when we're rattled? When we're shook, you do crazy stuff. Things come to mind. You say things that you wouldn't normally say. You hang out with people you wouldn't normally hang out with when you're shook. You, when, when, you, when you're shook, you entertain thought patterns and things come into your mind and mindsets that you normally would never have. And it's so crazy as you take a look at that. Many of us, we understand, yeah, I've been shook in my life. Crazy things come to mind. You may be going through a scenario, a situation today, maybe it's physically in your body, maybe it's a family member, something is going on, that you are rattled on the inside. I remember when our uh, missions team uh, went to Dakar, Senegal a number of years back, and we took a great team, and Pastor Mike led it, Chris and I were on the team, and uh, one night uh, we were in other parts of the missions house that we were renting, and um, we came down the stairs, and because we were getting some things ready upstairs in the house, and, and, and things put together, getting ready to really kind of get ready to fly back home, and we came downstairs in this missions house in Dakar, Senegal, and the team was running around frantically. It was wild. I'm going to tell you that, and we were like, what is going on here? And we come down, and we're like, everybody's doing their own thing. They're trying to push the 
these big pieces of furniture in front of the front door to, to block it off. And it got crazy and wild. All these things come to my mind as I'm thinking about it. We walked downstairs and we're like, what just happened? And we're like, everybody's going crazy. We're like, hey, guys, listen, what just happened? happened because <laughs> we came downstairs and Mike's like, we're all like, what in the world? And somebody on the team says, we heard footsteps. <laughs> okay, thank you for, thank you for the clarity. We heard footsteps and, and they're like, no, we heard feet and then we heard people and it, it was crazy. And so um, we found out from the team that that there, we heard rioting outside, and uh, we were staying in this missions house that was surrounded by a wall, so we were safe in there, and there was a guard out front with a machete and, you know, taking care of us and all of those things, and, and so um, we, we're, we're inside, I mean, everybody's freaking, we're freaking out, we're like, hey, you guys got to settle down, we need to pray, we need to just think this thing through, everything's gone kind of crazy, and so then come to find out, we're finding out through the missionary, we're giving the missionary a call and say, hey, something's gone crazy, there's there sounds like bombs going off, but it was tear gas and things like that. And, and so right across the street from the mission's house was the, the university there uh, in Dakar, Senegal. And the students were rioting that night, which I guess is a very common thing, but they just didn't tell us that, that was a common thing. And they were very upset uh, out there rioting. There was a lot of people out there. You could hear uh, crowds of people upset, throwing things, yelling things, and, and all of that. But they were upset that the federal government for that month, had not given the monies to pay for their education for the month, and they were upset. And so that's why they were all ticked off. And so, you know, we have all been in those moments where we have been shook, right? We have been rattled inside, and we're like, what is going on here? Things come out of your mouth that normally wouldn't come out. You say, you say man, I can't believe that came out of me in that moment of being shook. Make decisions you wouldn't normally make. Shook is the devil's playground. That's what I want to tell you today. Shook is the devil's playground. And so I'm not so sure the devil is concerned that you're here today, but that when you leave here, if the enemy can keep you shook and keep your eyes off Jesus all throughout the week, he's won a major victory in your life. In fact, Jesus talks about this in the New Testament about a few different kinds of soil. And how important this is so that we can live a life that is not shaken. Like your heart is soil, right? That's what scripture teaches. Our heart is soil. He says there's a particular type of soil that when the seed of the word is sown, it goes into the soil, but it starts to produce fruit, but then it can be choked out by the weeds. Well, what does he say the weeds are? Well, they're the riches of this life that can get in the way. They can be the pleasures of our life that can get in the way. And then it's no longer able to bear the fruit that is within the seed planted in the soil of our heart. So the devil doesn't care if you're here listening to the word being preached as long as he can keep you in a state of being shook all week long. He's won a victory over your life and over your heart because he wants to distract you from the greater purposes of the Lord. So it's, he's saying the enemy is going to try to come in, and what it's going to try to do is it's going to choke the word of God out of you. Maybe today you woke up shook and rattled by something you saw, 
something you heard, something you experienced, or about the week you're about ready to go into, and you're allowing that to cut off the life-giving power of the Word of God. He said there's so many things that can choke out God's Word. To be shook is human. You and I can't uh, avoid that. We're human. Things are going to happen. We're going to get our feathers ruffled, if you will, you, but you have to realize that you and I are part of something that is greater than us, and that is the kingdom of God that can never, ever, ever be shaken, all right? And the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39, that we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back, and so he has to remind the nation of Israel who were God's chosen people And now bring it into the New Testament. The gospel is now spreading across the world. Churches are being planted. And they they once enjoyed this privileged position. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking to. And now he's saying God is inviting everybody into this new dynamic through Jesus. And they're shook. They're like, what in the world is going on? This, This is a change. And the writer of Hebrew reminds them that you are not of those who shrink back. He reminds them, how? Of their family heritage. That's where he takes them to. He reminds them that they are from Adam and Abraham and Moses, and he keeps going down the lineage, and he goes into King David, and so on and so forth. And he he says, I want you to understand this, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you've got some new DNA in your life that you need to bank on. There's new DNA in you that you and I have a new family tree, and we got a new family beginning. That that your family, the family that you and I grew up in, is one of being shook many times as we look back, whether it's by divorce, or whether it could be through an addiction, or whether it's a lack of discipline. Maybe your family tree is one of those that shrank back from the very promises of God. And this is what he's addressing to us. And I just want to ask you a question in the midst of that. What part of your history ends with you today? What part of your history ends today as you look in God's word and you not allow the cares of this world to choke out God's word in you that you are saying that part of my family history needs to end because I have new DNA through Jesus. Because you and I have got a new family now. Jesus' family tree cannot be shaken. So maybe you're shook right now. That's a season. That's a moment. But shaken is a mindset, and you can be shook without being shaken today. So I want to I help equip you today with these indispensable truths of God's word as you're looking at the arsenal of any good warrior. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, you see the writer is encouraging them, and I want to use them to encourage you as well. He says, therefore... Do not throw away your confidence. Come on, can you say the word confidence? Do not throw away your confidence. That's powerful. Speaking to the nation of Israel who is in a season of being a little shook, therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, verse 36. But he says, but you also have need of, what you need of and have need of is endurance. Somebody say endurance. Or, you know, this can kind of be called as a counter, counterpunch message, but not shaken sounded better. This is a counterpunch message. And here are some counterpunches that I want to give to you through Scripture because we have that 
at our disposal and we need to use it for God's kingdom. The first one, number one, is a counterpunch is your confidence. That's a counterpunch to the work of the enemy in our lives. Please do not forget that you and I are at war. We are at war and there's a very real enemy of our soul that hates us, hates our home, hates our jobs, hates our campuses, hates whatever is going on inside of it. He hates your future. And scripture says in John 10 that we're reminded of often that he has only come, the enemy, to steal, kill, and destroy. That he has come to steal from you and he's come to steal your future and to kill you and destroy your endurance in the midst of the race that God has called you to. So maybe you're a little shook today. You're a little rattled. Maybe you're here today and you're wounded. Maybe today you've brought in here wounds that you've carried with you for a long time or maybe through this given week and you feel knocked down. That the enemy will come in these moments to every single one of us because none of us are exempt because we're human. And he would like to put into our ears, if you really love Jesus, you know, if you really were a person of faith, if you really had the Holy Spirit at work inside of you, you wouldn't even feel this way. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Like, like, because the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror, but come on, you don't feel like you're more than a conqueror. Doesn't the enemy come and do that a lot? The enemy wants you to think that, that you, this feeling of shook right now, there's something wrong with you. And I'm going to let you know the fact that you're feeling shook, nothing is wrong with you. It's called being human on the side of eternity. It's called being human, but until we see Jesus face to face, we're going to experience opposition, but it's what we do in this season of shookness that makes all of the difference day in and day out. So when you counterpunch, it is vital inside of your life. You need to counterpunch with confidence, and he says you have confidence, and that is a great reward But what you have need of, though, is inside of this is even more. But he says confidence is what you need. See, confidence is the faith to step out, and endurance is the faith to stick it out. Are you with me? See, confidence has everything to do with who you rely on. You rely on somebody, and he's saying your confidence needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Confidence has everything to do with who you're trusting in. So he said, you have need of this. You have, you have need of confidence. Number two, he says, it's your endurance. You know, sometimes we're really good at being one-trick ponies. Even in the body of Christ. Like, see, a predictable boxer is a defeatable boxer. Do you know that? If all you do is the same moves, you are defeatable because they watch your movements. That's what the enemy does. He watches our movements. And if all you're going to do is that one thing, you know what? You and I are defeatable because we are predictable Like if all I've got is confidence, 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 they're just quick jabs and that's not really going to do a lot of good because it's in that that I'm defeatable. People with confidence who do not have endurance, we have a word for that. That is called flakiness. I saw some of your heads come up for the first time. Flakiness. Where in the room, who are my project starters. You love to start projects. Come on, can I see your hands? Yes. Okay, there's a number of you, you're project starters. They get it started, but then there's also another group of people in the room. You're like the 30,000 foot person. You're way up high. You're the visionary. You like to paint the vision. You like to get things going, and you're a visionary. If you're a visionary in the room, can I see your hands? 
I don't know where the rest of you are at, but okay. But anyways, you know, you know, like in the visionary context of things, everybody, people get afraid to raise their hands in the church. I'm going to just make fun of everybody today, okay? So it doesn't really matter. But um, that 30,000-foot visionary, I understand this a lot. You know, it's like, you know, if you're a visionary, it's like, could you just return my email every once in a while? You ever know that a visionary person? Yeah, like, yeah, I should, you know, that's the adult thing to do. That, yes, that's true. See, confidence without endurance is flaky. Confidence without endurance is flaky. And listen, really at the risk of overestimating the amount of relational equity in the room, we have far too many flakes in the body of Christ. Can I hear you say yes? Yeah. We have far too many people who are confident to run out and sprint, but when there's a little opposition, then we wilt and we don't stick to it for the long haul. Then we wonder why, well, there's no peace in my life. There's no joy. There's no fullness. Why? There's no fruit because I'm really good at starting, but when the opposition comes, I, well, maybe I should just pick up and go somewhere else. Maybe I should just go do this somewhere else. Maybe I should go do this thing down there across the street or over there in another country or another road. Now, endurance people, you've got endurance. And many times, endurance people, that's great because we need both of these things working in tandem. But sometimes we got endurance without confidence. We also have a word for that. That's called complacency. Endurance without confidence equals complacency. We can easily get there. So unless you think because you and I have been around for a long time that we have endurance, I want you to help, I want to help you see this through Scripture, that Scripture defines faithfulness as fruitfulness, not longevity. Now, longevity is important, but what he ties to that is you come and you see the maturing work of God in you, he ties this to fruitfulness, like we judge a tree by its fruit, not by the amount of rings in its trunk. Are you with me, church? You're a little quiet. Are you with me? Say yes. I think there are many people in our churches that just because they've been sitting and occupying space for decades means they feel like they have been faithful. Faithfulness without longevity is, it is not longevity. It's fruitfulness. You might be a little shook. You might say, well, you know, I wonder if it's because, you know, I uh, don't understand the counterpunches that I really have and can have as I stand in the place to do what God has called me to do. We need people of confidence and we need people of endurance at the same time. See, what I'm talking about is our I can, our I can is powered by the great I am. That's what this is about, that God has told us to go forward, but our, our, our I can is empowered by the great I am. Your endurance is, is, is sustained by who he is, the great I am. And Joshua chapter 3 shows us a story that illustrates this perfectly. Joshua has taken over the leadership of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, promised people. God made them a promise. I've set aside a land for you. This land is called Canaan. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's an analogy, meaning it was a land filled with everything you could ever want. See, that's the picture of where we're going. That's the picture of where we're headed, and that's the picture that he gave to them. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a land flowing with anything that you could ever imagine. We're not there yet, but we're to be on our way in the journey. You know, like in this land, as you look, there's provision. There was a Chick-fil-A in the promised land, right? Some of you didn't know that. You just found that out. A man named Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt had gotten to the, them to this point but was unable to lead them in the promised land. And so 
his young predecessor, Joshua, has taken over the leadership from Moses. And let me tell you something. This is a very real part of Joshua's life like it is for us because he's walking out of one chapter with Moses, and now Moses, my, my servant, is dead. And then Joshua chapter 1, he needed the confidence and he needed the endurance to fulfill what God has called him to. That's why we see over and over again inside of this, be strong and courageous, right? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I've commanded you to do this. We need to have confidence. We need to have endurance like Joshua. And number three, we need to consecrate ourselves because God says to Joshua, you need to consecrate yourself. See, consecration is a counterpunch to the work of the devourer in the land, which means Consecration means to cleanse yourself, purify yourself, because today I'm going to elevate you in the eyes of people. See, consecration always precedes promotion. Did you know that? Consecrating yourself, purifying yourself before God. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me, but you can do that for yourself today. Consecrate, purify yourselves before God. We have a holy God as we sang about today. He's called us to be holy. Amen? And so in that, you have to realize you need to consecrate yourself. Right? Some people are looking for a promotion without consecration. And those two things go together inside of our lives. We see this time and time again throughout Scripture. You know, we were talking to our kids this week about, you know, understand who we are really working for. We all have bosses, and all of us are under authority, and it's so important to know that. And God has put that structure in our lives, and we're to obey them and and to honor them and all that we do. But we need to know as well, we've told our kids this over and over again, is you need to realize that God sees things that nobody else can see. God sees it when you consecrate yourself. God sees it when you show up to work on time and you faithfully serve the Lord day in and day out in your job. You think, well, I don't know if other people around me are seeing it, but the most important person is God and he sees it and he's the one that is able to elevate you because you did the right thing even when it was hard to do, amen? You just do it. You just do it. So he tells them, you're going to lead them into the promised land, Joshua. And I want you to take these 12 men and take them to the river, walk there, the Jordan River that separated them from where their promised land was. And he says, when you get there, I'm going to do something mighty. I'm going to roll back the waters. And so he's recreating the, the earlier miracle of the Red Sea. God's really into water miracles. You ever seen that before? Throughout the Old Testament and then in the New Testament of what he's doing, he's proving his faithfulness. And just as I was faithful to the previous generations, I am going to be faithful to you. And he used a sign that they were familiar with, that they understood the stories that they heard about in the Red Sea. And he he says, as soon as you get there to the water's edge, I'm going to roll it back. They got it. They understood it. And they were confident. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14 says, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the River Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those who were bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests touched the water's edge, just like God said, just like he said was going to happen. But there's a parenthetical in there. There's a parenthetical in there. Scripture says, Now Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. 
God conveniently left out the fact that he was making inside of the promise that when they got to the Jordan River, that it would be in flood stage in this point of the harvest. God conveniently left out when he had made the promise that when you get there, there is going to be adverse circumstances that will await you. He forgot to tell them uh, that what it was really going to be like. He knew what it was going to be like, but he was wondering if his people would be obedient and follow through on the commands that he has commanded to them. And so he, he, why? Well, because if he would have told them, most of them probably never would have got out of their tent that morning, right? Like, like us in the morning, like, like many times, if um, we knew what was before us in the day, we probably wouldn't even get out of our house or out of our bed, right? We'd be like, I'm not getting out. Isn't it amazing how God works even in our own lives that God says, I want you to do this. But see, many times, what would we do as God's people? Well, we'd probably say, well, we're going to get our small group together and pray and that the flood water would subside, God. So we're going to come, we're going to pray, or we're just going to call down heaven for a miracle and or how about, hey, let's call up the board and see if we have enough money to build a bridge and get over it, right? We're trying to think in our mind how these different ways that we're going to be able to cross this sea. I just wonder how many times we're trying to strategize our way around what God has called us to walk right into. We're so good as the body of Christ and as Christians to strategize, and I believe in strategy, but sometimes we're trying to strategize what God has called us to do already, and we don't need another strategy in those moments. We just need to walk through on dry ground and do what God has commanded us to do. If you believe that, big amen. 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 Some of you say, well, you're advocating recklessness. No, I'm not. I, I, I want to be fearless without being reckless. We need to do our due diligence and then step into what God has called us to step into. But how many times are we trying to strategize ourselves and what God has called us to walk through already? How many times? I'm calling it strategy when really it's fear, right? I'm going to strategize this thing all the way out, but really I'm fearful. So to their credit, Scripture says that they went and did what he commanded them to do, and they put their foot on the water's edge, and we see that in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down the sea of the Arabah was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And I don't know, my geography is not really too great all the time, especially when it comes to scripture. I usually have to go to a map and look it up. But I looked this up, and what I discovered was this distance that he is talking about in this portion of scripture, chapter 3, verse 16, is the distance from Stephen City to Berryville is the distance, for those of you that are at our Clearbrook campus, from Clearbrook to Martinsburg, 18 miles, 18 miles of where he stopped up the flow and brought the waters out and parted them so that they could walk 
through. He rolled it back 18 miles. What we forget is he is a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. Abundantly more. And so many times what we do is we sit back in this space of shookness because we forget he is the one that made the promise in the first place. You and I didn't make the promise. We're trying to build on a promise and say, I'm going to do it with my own two hands. Well, how are you going to do that? Because you didn't make the promise and neither did I. He made the promise and he's called us to be obedient to the promise of what he's called us to do in every area of our life. Amen, church? It's not even our promise. It's a promise he gave us. It's a promise he said. It wasn't to be done in their own strength. The flood didn't catch God off guard. The circumstances you're facing today doesn't even catch God off guard. The scenario that you walked into today doesn't catch God off guard. He called you to it, and he's faithful enough to sustain you through it because it was his idea anyways. It was his thought. You and I are part of a kingdom that can never, ever be shaken, and God's just doing the heavy lifting. He's never called you and I to do the heavy lifting. He's called you and I to trust him in spite of what we see and what we hear in a world that is full of shifting sand. Verse 17 says, the priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm. They stood what? They stood firm. They stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So you have to have confidence, oh yeah, that we're connected to God and our confidence is in him. And number two is endurance, that we need to have endurance to run the race. And number three, we need to be consecrated. We need to consecrate ourselves. And then number four, we need to stand firm. Stand firm is a counterpunch in whatever you're going through today. Stand firm means strong hands and firm knees. Strong hands to lay hold of the promise of God and firm knees which refuses to be pushed off of it in the face of the circumstances you are going through today. All the people, all the people who were hanging back got to walk into the miracle first. Did you see that? They were part of the encampment. They were part of God's called people. But those that were hanging back got to walk into the miracle and through the miracle first of 18 miles of heaped up water. Have you ever thought this? I've been man in my position for decades. Why do these that started after me get a promotion? Every one of us in this room have felt that. I've been man in this position. I've come here and I turned the lights on when nobody else was here before me. I came and opened the doors. You came to your workplace. You helped set up. A teacher, you came and did that. You prepared your classroom. You've done a year after year after year. And you're like, what in the world? And that person over there is getting a promotion and I am not getting a promotion? How many are with me today? right? Maybe everybody is passing you. Why? Because you're being faithful to the post 
and the ground that God has called you to occupy. You ever thought about that? You're being faithful and being obedient to God and you've just showed up and you've continued to do it. And the tendency is, the seduction of the enemy would be to run forward and for those people, those priests, those people that went to the water's edge and were obedient, when, if, if they just ran ahead, when, that's not really faith. That's a dereliction of duty and that's a dereliction of obedience. They were called to do it. They were called to go forward and stand there while everybody else, those that were younger, those that didn't have all of those years of experience like they did were passing in front of them. Somebody had to stand there and have the faith to hold those waters back in tandem with God, in tandem with his strength, so all of those young people could go through. And listen, I just want to encourage those of you today that, that, that those of you that have been pillars and that have, that have continued to stand there and you've continued to be obedient and you may be up there in years, but you've continued to stand there out of obedience to what God has said and his commands upon your life. I want to encourage you today to keep standing there so that we can occupy the promised land of God. And then I want to encourage our young people in the house. We need for you to come and get out of the tents. And we need you to come forward. We need you to get out of that place of safety and comfortability in these days so that you would come and you would walk through and you would impact your campuses and you would impact your workplace and you would impact your homes for the glory of God. You would impact our government and the places that we need you in today. I'm just gonna preach until you start believing God for this today. Come on, come on, church. Come on, come on, come on. Get into that place. Listen, if you're a pillar and you've stood there for a long time, you're doing what God has called you to do. You stand in that place of obedience. When you see him face to face, he will say to you, Sir or ma'am, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into your rest. Young people, we need for you to arise. We need you to arise. You, you got that young energy and that young strength. We have a, we have a little uh, like nine-month, or oh, it's a 10-month-old puppy, and that puppy has got puppy energy. The other dogs are looking at him like, you are crazy. You know, we, we need some of that young energy and those that are wise in the room can help direct your energy and say, hey, go this way and, and do this. But it's time for the body of Christ to arise together. Quit worrying about who's getting a promotion around you. Stand in the place of obedience and do what God has called you to do and quit being shaken because you and I are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Come on, church. Come on. Every person is necessary in the house. Every person is necessary in the house. And so not for a minute has God ever forsaken you. The Lord is in the place where you are standing and God is here and God is right with you standing in that space because you have firm knees refusing to be pushed off by every situation that could possibly wilt your faith. That God is building a great house through you and you need to stand in that place. That's where God is at. That's where his presence is at and you need to stand firm and you need to stand strong today. You need to stand there because listen, we're all headed towards the same promised land. 
And all of us are called to do something a little different along the way. But you and I need to take our place. It's time for the body of Christ to take their place and to do it even a world that is shaken. We do not have to be shaken today. We do not have to be consumed with worry and anxiety and fear. God has just called us to be obedient to the commands that he has given to us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you, God, as we look at your word, that you have called every one of us to be confident, that we should not throw away our confidence. There is a great reward for the confidence you have given to us. Lord Jesus, that our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in you today. That, God, we would have endurance with confidence to run the race ahead. And that we would consecrate ourselves at this very place. Lord, that we would be holy just as you are holy. God, we would be holy. We would consecrate. We would purify our hearts so, God, that you can take us onto this next area to, to, to conquer and, and to be in the promised land that you promised us. And then that we would stand firm today. We would stand firm no matter how many years we've been in Christ, whether it's been 20 or 30 or 40 or whether it's just been a week or the last couple of weeks, that we would stand firm so that we can help younger generations that are around us and behind us see it go in, go in to experience the miraculous power of who you are, God. I pray that today for us as a church, God. I pray that you would strip off the complacency of just sitting in the tent. waiting for the floodwaters to subside when you've called us to walk out to it and see the waters heaped up. Father, I pray that we would walk into that place. We would not be fearful. We would not be fearful. We would be fearless in spite of what we see. God, we belong to your kingdom that can never, ever be shaken. I pray that over us as a body in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship the Lord today as we leave this place, as we prepare our hearts. And listen, I want to encourage you. Some of you, you, you maybe have never taken a step out and just come and worship the Lord. Man, I like to see some of our younger people come on out and worship the Lord. And I come on down front here and let's worship the Lord and know that we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Let's worship the Lord and have a wonderful week in Christ.